Morning, Crosswalk. Morning. Ha- thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to sit today. I'm sorry. Happy New Year. I hope yours has been great because mine sucks. I- <laughs> You're going to get some patty comments today. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, no, yeah, so my kids were sick over break, which was awesome. Um, and then they, you know, they're loving, and so they shared it with dad. So um, I, if you were here last week, you heard it in my voice, but the rest of this week has just been just a joy, just so much fun. Um, and I, I kept reflecting, uh, and I told a couple of you this, that um, I, I had my tonsils out when I was eight for a reason. And the, the, this, this bug, whatever it is, uh, it's been the sorest throat I've had in my entire life. And so I'm going to ask for my money back. But as, as Ryan suggested, I'm going to ask for what it would cost today to take out my tonsils. Not what it cost back in 1942. Um, I also just have to say, I hadn't watched our bumper video yet. Uh, and if, if my wife, if Trish is in the room, I'm sure she felt the same way. I got really choked up. You don't know who that is. Maybe you don't know who that is. Maybe you do. But his name is Bill Johnson. And, and Bill Johnson uh, was the editor of the Adventist Review for a long time, uh, worked at the General Conference, did so many different things. But, but Bill, he talks about being in the, in the political, you know, beast of, of the church, so to speak, for a long time. And, and then he had a heart attack. He's from Australia. I don't know why that has to do with having a heart attack. It doesn't. Um, I told you, it's going to be a fun little journey we're going to go on today. Um, But Bill had a heart attack, and he said, when you have come to the edge of life, you realize there's only one thing that matters, and that one thing is Jesus. And he spoke for us at the One Project on a regular basis, and every time he got up and he started to speak, and I often would help him get up on stage, and he'd have that first line, and Trisha and I were in tears. So he is a good, good man with a good heart, and he still is contributing a lot of beauty to our church. Um, and he's a member of Crosswalk. It's fine. It's not a big deal. It's just, you know. So... Anyway, you guys, over the next five weeks, I'm excited about this series because this is getting us into the heart of who we are as a church, what our call as a church is, our purpose. So over the next five weeks, we'll be exploring the mission and vision statement of our church, which as Lydia said, is one word, which is to love well. Now we've done this before, about 16 months ago, we went through this journey, but then we were looking at the practical side of love well, what it looks like to love well. We would call this um, our orthopraxy, which is our right uh, doing. However, orthopraxy is influenced by orthodoxy. Um, And orthodoxy is our right thinking, which makes sense, right? Because our behaviors are influenced by our beliefs. So in this series, we're exploring the theological underpinnings behind Loving well. And we do this in hopes that through a deep study of Scripture, we will uncover the value system of Jesus and we would see those values incorporated in our church's five end statements. Because if our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy aren't deeply rooted in the Scriptures and an understanding of who God is, then we are on the wrong track. So here's the formula we use to approach this conversation. 
won't say this every week, but we'll say this at the first one just to give you an idea of our framework. We start with Christology. Christology is talking about who and what Jesus is. It's like when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Um, that is a question that theologians for the last couple hundred years at least have been saying that's the most important question for you to answer as a follower of Jesus is who do you think he is? Um, and so that's where everything starts. And from our study of Christ, we come to an understanding of our mission or our missiology. This is the work that is given to us to do that comes out of our understanding of who we believe Jesus to be. So if we're a follower of Jesus, we believe him to be a certain way, then we have a mission that we want to emulate that. Then finally, our Christology informs our missiology, which then clarifies our ecclesiology. Okay? Ecclesiology is how the theology we develop gets applied in community. This is the living and breathing theological expression of what we believe about Christ and what he would have us as a community to do in this world. Okay? So enough big words. <laughs> um, so that's the formula we follow. And before I go any further, I have to give credit where credit is due. Pastor Tim Gillespie, our lead pastor for all the crosswalk campuses and churches down in Redlands, who I regularly poke fun at because let's be honest, it's easy. Um, he's actually super smart and he's our resident theologian. Like when we have him on the screen and he says a big word, he didn't have to look that up. It just comes out. I always have to, I'm like, what did, I don't, what did you just say? Um, so this is how he thinks, and I owe much of the theological content behind the message to him. Though if you tell him I complimented him this morning, I will deny it and thus call you a liar. You know what Jesus thinks about liars? <laughs> I'm sorry. I told you you shouldn't let me do this today. Okay, several weeks ago, uh, I was talking to some people that had come a couple of times, but it was after one of the services. We were out in the lobby, and they just said, you know, there's just something different about your church. It's like love is in the air when you come here. And I will tell you, in the 15 months since we have planted this church, that is one of my favorite compliments, that love is in the air here, because that's something I hope and pray for this place every day. That the people who come would experience the love of God no matter their past and background, no matter if they're just coming one time for a visit from out of town or they're taking a break from their other church or they're looking for a place to call home. Because if we have not love, we have nothing. So the call to love well means so much to me as I know it has come to mean to so many of you as well. It's not just a slogan that looks great on a sweatshirt or a sticker, it's a way of life. The more I've come to know Jesus, the stronger I have a sense to love well. The two go hand in hand, because I believe that love isn't just what Jesus did, it is who and what Jesus is. Love well is provocative yet simple and should absolutely inform everything that we do as a church. So Crosswalk created five end statements that we believe put skin on what it looks like to love well. And each week in this series, we'll look at a different statement and the theology behind it. So this week, we'll be looking at the most important. Our first statement says, Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. 
Now, belonging is one of our three core values as well. This is huge. Typically, in many communities, you have to um, adhere to a certain set of beliefs before you can belong, or you have to prove in some way that you are loyal to this uh, group before you can belong. But at Crosswalk, we hope you sense that you can belong the first time you walk through the doors, even if you believe differently than we do. Because belonging is critical to building trust. We have all seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs, probably in a textbook somewhere. What's interesting is that the first two needs that Maslow points out, physiological needs and safety needs, it's after that becomes love and belonging. But what's interesting about this is that research has shown that in times of crisis, a strong sense of belonging goes a long way in helping us not just survive, but flourish. So even when we don't feel safe or have all of our physiological needs met, belonging is a powerful tool for survival. It's powerful because we all know what it's like to not belong, right? I mean, we've all had a season in our life or a situation or moment or place we've been where we were in the wrong place at the wrong time and we knew it, right? When I was five or six years old, I was invited to a a good friend of mine. I was invited to her house for her birthday. And apparently the invitation that my parents got said that it was, uh, you know, a party to dress up for. And so for me, what that meant was I put on my best corduroy slacks and my dress shirt and a tie. Yes, at six years old, I wore a tie because my idol was Alex P. Keaton. I know there's going to be like four of you in the room that gets that reference, but family ties. Okay, um, and, and that, was, that was me. Oh, how times have changed. I think I've worn two ties in the last year. I did a wedding back in September, and I was like, I don't, how do I, huh, that's interesting. Um, but I was excited to go to my friend's birthday party, but my friend and I, we didn't, you know, travel in the same circles, Um, She went to a different school than I did. She went to a different church, different denomination, but we were close. Our families were close. Um, And so I went. uh, So I I go, I knock on the door. My mom drives away. We live far away from their house. Um, Then the adult opens the door and I look inside and I see past the adult, all the kids are running around in Halloween costumes. This was a Halloween costume dress-up party, which made sense because her birthday was close to Halloween, but no one told me that. So I walk in and I feel horribly out of place. All I can do is just kind of watch my clock. I'm trying to figure out, man, how do I get out of here? How do I leave? Kids keep coming up to me and asking me what I'm dressed like, you know, and I just shrug my shoulders and I look down at the ground. But after about five or six times, the old noggin kicked in and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try something. So another, the next kid comes up to me and says, All right, what are you dressed as? And I stand up and I puff out my chest and I confidently say, I'm dressed as a banker. And the person, the kid looks me up and down and is like, good costume. Like, Thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't belong, but at least I was starting to fit in, right? But the truth is, you and I, we long to belong. We long to be known and loved, to be a part of a group, a faith, a community, a family. And I think one of the greatest tricks of the devil, especially in the Western world, is the the focus on individuality, the concept that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? And that actually, if you need other people, that's a sign of weakness. 
I think this is why the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 has resonated with so many people for so many years, even the people that aren't religious. This story of a son who is done with his family, who actually goes to his father and says, I wish you were dead because he wants his inheritance. And the father gives him his inheritance. The son goes, he blows all the money off on wild, frivolous living, and then suddenly he ends up without money, without friends or community, and he's literally eating food with the pigs. It finally dawns on him, and he says, you know, my, the, the servants that lived in my father's house, they lived better than I'm living right now. I know I have lost my right to belong to the family, but maybe my father will take me back just as a servant. Just let me work for the rest of my life for you. And you know how the story ends. The son goes walking home, and he's practicing his speech. The father apparently has been looking off at the horizon for him to return for who knows how long. And then he sees his son's form, and the father goes running. As the son is preparing to ask to be a servant, the father wraps his arms around him and embraces him and clothes him with the robes of the family and the rings of the family and says, you are my son, you were lost, and now you are found. Belonging isn't about fitting in, looking the part. It's about unconditional love. It's about being known and being loved, period. And belonging is what we are all desperate for. So what does the Bible tell us about belonging? Well, Ephesians 1.4 says that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before God even created us, he chose us. We long to belong because it's what we were created for. The most healing phrase I've ever received in my life was during one of the darkest periods of my life. And I've shared my testimony here before, but it was a time of mental health crisis for me, a couple of years of a journey. And I was convinced that I wasn't deserving of the love of anyone. And on a retreat I had taken, crying out to God, I heard these words repeated in my mind. You are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Over and over and over again. God reminded me that I wasn't alone. He reminded me that I belonged to him and that he was actually pleased with me. Healing words to a broken soul. You and I, whether we realize it or not, we belong to God. On the night before his arrest, Jesus prayed these words. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me, so, bring, so they bring me glory. We belong to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. And that means all of us. Romans 1, 6, and 7 says, And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. If you were a Gentile, you weren't a Jew. That means everybody else except for Jews when they use the word Gentile. We are called to belong. The word Paul uses here for called is the Greek word kaleo, which means we are summoned we are invited to belong, and it is connected to the idea of salvation. So God invites us to belong to him, to be saved, should we choose to receive his unconditional love. And this love is for everyone, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. Every person is invited to belong. Every person from every background, every belief, every lifestyle, race, all are called to belong. 
And since we start with Christology and believe Jesus is the clearest revelation of God that we have, we have only to look at his life to realize that he lived a life of belonging. I mean, look at the people he spent most of his time with on earth, the people that were most drawn to him. They were people who felt like they no longer had families or religion or communities, tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes and Samaritans, Gentiles and other outcasts. Jesus was all about belonging. He said, let the children come to me and don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And who are his children? Well, the apostle John would go on to write that see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. We are all his children and we belong to him because he knows every thought and he loves us. But let's read on in 1 John 3, 1, because it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. You see, there is a distinction. There are those who belong to the world and those who belong to God. What's the difference? Well, we, we are all called to belong to God, but we don't all answer the call or choose to receive the gift. You and I are each born into this fallen, sin-filled world, and this world has its own value system apart from God. Several places mention this throughout the scriptures, but perhaps the most stark contrast is in the book of Galatians, where it describes people kind of sold out to the values of the world and those who have surrendered to the love of God. It's summarized in Galatians. Paul says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, now the only one of this list that I have a problem with is wild parties. Because you came to our Christmas volunteer party, whew, a sucker was wild. We practically had to take our board chair to the ER. (laughs) It's crazy. Anyway, you compare that list to the one that comes in the next verse. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how does one move from the sinful nature of belonging to the world to producing the fruit of the Spirit and belonging to God. That's pretty simple. We believe that Jesus has saved us, rescued us, redeemed us, reconciled us, recaptured us from the world, and delivered us into his kingdom. And we make him the center of our lives instead of ourselves. That's it. It's not easy. Colossians says it best, for God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And how did he purchase our freedom and forgive our sins? Well, Peter tells us that. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God has already done this. 
He has called us and given us a way out of living isolated and alone in darkness. And we, when we accept his gift, when we surrender our lives, which we symbolize through baptism, then we are reborn from this world into Christ. As Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Hallelujah. You and I don't have to keep living the lives we have, lives focused on making a name for ourselves or or grabbing all the money we can or making our lives look good on the outside while it's falling apart on the inside. We don't have to do that anymore because we don't belong to the world when we belong to Jesus. Our value system changes over time and we belong to God and to the family of God which leads us to our final understanding of belonging because when we realize we no longer belong to this world but to God as his dearly loved children, then we recognize that God has created a family for us to belong to because God knows the importance of community. Remember in Genesis 2.18, the only thing that wasn't good about God's creation was man was alone. When God created Eve, Adam replied, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Finally, after looking at all of God's creation, Adam had someone like him to spend time with and to commune with and to do things that we won't talk about because this is a family show. That's so not in my notes. That's a, that's a combination of ibuprofen and Dayquil. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And after Jesus' resurrection, another body was created. This one was what we call the body of Christ, his church, born on the day that life was breathed into it, the day of Pentecost. Paul wrote about this new creation and said, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Do you know that in the New Testament, there are over 72 commands for what I call one anothering. Things like confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another, don't pass judgment on one another. I'll read that again. Don't pass judgment on one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You figure that one out. Comfort one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be kind to one another, and the list goes on. One anothering is important because we are a body. We must work together to care for one another. So knowing all of the above, that we no longer belong to the world because God rescued and redeemed us from the world, and that we no longer be- and, and that we now belong to Him, and because we belong to Him, we in turn belong to each other as a community of faith. Here are two tips for belonging in our day and age. To belong takes time, so stay a while. To belong takes time, so stay a while. For 18 years of my life, I served college students, the most transient population that you can find out there. They move all the time. But our world has become more transient than ever before, and we have more options than ever before. For example... We ha- it's a blessing in this area that we have so many different churches to choose from in the Portland area, but it's also a challenge because you can hop around to all these churches all the live long day and never stay in one place. 
I've moved across this country back and forth five times, which is idiotic to me. With each move came time to get to know the area, make connections, and start to feel like my new place is home and like I'm, I'm putting roots down. In my experience, it takes about two years of investment before you really start to feel like you're putting roots down. And this time can be a bit uncomfortable. It can be lonely at times, but belonging is a journey, so don't give up. The same is true for church. It's one of the reasons new churches, church plants, Here's a scary statistic for you. Most church plants, in fact, 80% of church plants fail in their first five years, partly because people want instant community and instant results, but these things take time. So if you want to feel as if you belong somewhere, stay a while. And don't just stay, invest. To belong takes investment. So move toward one another. Here at Crosswalk, we don't just talk about volunteering for a ministry because it helps us out, which don't get me wrong, it does. I mean, we we need you. But we encourage volunteering because it helps you get connected to a group of people. We encourage joining a connect group, which we have seven to choose from right now. And I'm told coming soon to Crosswalk Portland, a pickleball group. I don't fully know what that is, but I'm excited. All of these opportunities help you come to know others better and them to know you. You move towards each other. If you just come to worship and you leave, you don't put roots down. At Crosswalk, we call that being a tourist. And it's fine. There are times when you need to be a tourist. But you never really become known by the locals, the residents. To do that, you have to invest. The the best and easiest way to explain it is with Andy Crouch's two-by-two chart. If you are in a community and not known and not loved, then you're probably ignored. If you are known and still not loved, then you feel rejected. If you are truly known, but if you are not truly known but loved, you're just fitting in. But if you're known and loved, then you belong. All this takes time and it takes investment. And we hope and pray and work hard every week because we hope you find this place a community you'd like to stay a while. I know that can be scary and uncomfortable for a time, but it's also what we were meant for. We were meant to belong. Crosswalk will be a community of belonging because it has to be. It reflects who God is, and as we stay and invest and come to love one another, we find our purpose, and we we take one step closer to heaven. It's always interesting to me. Some people ask, um, after I say certain things from up front, about certain groups in our society that are especially on the, on the fringes, the outcasts. And they say, well, that's nice that you say those things from up front, but could those people get involved? Could those people truly belong? If they can't, then we're not answering our call. We are a church of belonging. Everyone deserves a chance to belong. Now, this last week, I got some tough news. Well, I was down and out <laughs> watching, what did I watch this week? Trying to ignore the pain I felt. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That was my show of the week. It's, uh, I'm sharing too much. But my friends, Jay Fett and Becky Day-Oliveira, um, found themselves back in the hospital because of Becky's glioblastoma. Doctors said the tumor in her brain was back. 
and was back to the same size it was a year ago when they first discovered it. They did surgery on Tuesday, chemo is next. But with this type of cancer, once it comes back, it's not good news. Um, Becky asked the doctors if they thought she had a chance to make it to her dad's 80th birthday in May. They said they'd be surprised. But they've been surprised before, and Becky has been full of surprises. A couple of weeks ago, I reached out to them and asked what they found to be most helpful uh, in support in their journey. And Japheth was quick to respond. In fact, sometimes he answers my texts before I send them, which is really weird. He's like, God, that way. Anyway, he wrote these words. He said, brother, honestly, of all the things out there, what has been most helpful has been community. Community and belonging. We were meant for it, created for it, and we all desperately need it. So know that here you belong. I don't care if you're African American, Native American, or see-through American like me. Thank you. <laughs> Yay for invisible people. Um, if you're Asian, Islander, Hispanic, or Latino, you were meant for community and you deserve to belong. I don't care if you're gay, straight, transgender, no gender, you deserve a place to belong. I don't care if you're Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, non-denominational, atheist, or agnostic, you were created to belong. And here at Crosswalk, one of our promises is that you can not only belong, but that in our hearts, you already do. That's our commitment as a church. We are a community of belonging. We are ferociously committed to it. I care about who you are and, and all the things that make you who you are. But when it comes to belonging, we're in this together, all of us. And every week, we're going to have these posters up front. And then we're going to put them right in the back um, on your way out the door. But this is our commitment. It's like our charter. This is end statement number one. I accept the call to do what I can to help make this church a place of belonging for all. I've already signed my name. And if you feel called to do this same thing, and it doesn't matter if you're visiting here once or what, if you want to be a part of a community of belonging, you want to commit to this type of life, wherever you come from, sign. Because this is what Jesus needs us to be because this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. Would you pray with me? Father God in heaven, I definitely said things that I didn't plan today. I didn't know if that was your spirit or the drugs, but <laughs> every time I step up here on the stage, Lord, you know the conversations you and I have you would become greater as I become less and that you would say what needs to be said. Today, Lord, we're just trying to remind each other that belonging is this first step for us to know how much we are loved. And knowing how much we are loved is why you came to this world. Because you loved us so much that you gave us your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For you did not send your son into this world to condemn the world to save it. So Father, help us here at Crosswalk be a community of belonging, focused and fixed on you and help us love really, really well in the precious and holy and powerful 
and beautiful and loving name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.